0: We'll continue with our text this morning. We'll pick up where brother Dwight left off Matthew chapter eighteen we'll read verses twenty eight through thirty five But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me that thou owest." and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their lord all that was done. Then his lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. This is a parable of Christ, one among many. This is often referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant or the ungrateful debtor. We know Jesus often spoke in parables. We Probably many of us have heard a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Often Jesus used earthly examples to drive home a greater spiritual truth. Well, he's doing the same thing here. We understand, too, this parable really has nothing to do With money or the canceling of a financial debt, even though Jesus used money as an illustration, this really is all about forgiveness. Somebody said this represents two types of forgiveness. We see vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. Vertical forgiveness means our relationship to God and God's forgiveness to us. And then the horizontal forgiveness, or the way we are to forgive one another and our relationships with one another. So we, we understand this really is dealing with the issue of forgiveness. We see three things in this parable we see the importance of the king's forgiveness to us, we see the importance of our forgiveness towards others, and we see the consequences or penalty of unforgiveness or what happens when we refuse to forgive. You know, any time you consider the subject of forgiveness, I think people often struggle with forgiveness, sometimes because there are some misconceptions about forgiveness. Not everybody understands what forgiveness is, and sometimes there are some misunderstandings. I think one of the misconceptions about forgiveness is that Forgiveness equals trust. Some people feel that if you forgive somebody, the expectation is that you automatically or immediately trust them. That's not always the case. Forgiveness is a gift that is freely given. Trust is a privilege that's earned over time. You don't earn a gift. A gift is something that is given. Trust is something that you do earn over time. You know if you know of a person that was always stomping on your feet every time they saw you, and then they'd say they were sorry and they'd do it again. Well, you might forgive them, but chances are you' probably set up some boundaries. You might even avoid that individual altogether. So forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean an automatic restoration of trust. When Jesus tells us to forgive, he doesn't mean that Christians are to forgive while doing nothing to protect themselves from future harm. The Word of God does tell us to forgive unconditionally. It doesn't say anything about trusting unconditionally. This isn't not this is not unforgiveness, this is self preservation. So we understand that forgiveness doesn't always mean trust is automatically or immediately restored. Forgiveness does allow that repeat offender to work towards restoring that trust. We know that forgiveness allows for reconciliation, but it doesn't mean trust is automatically given. We know forgiveness can happen in a moment. But what happens following that, that reconciliation and that rebuilding of trust can sometimes take time. Forgiveness doesn't equal no consequences. That is another misconception about forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't forego justice. You know, a person can be forgiven and still face the consequences for their actions. If a man were addicted to gambling, just as an example... And the Lord has saved him and delivered him from that addiction. He would have been freely forgiven by the Lord. But if he racked up a bunch of gambling debts, those debts would still have to be paid. So there are consequences to sin. Forgiveness doesn't mean that they're necessarily done away with. In Proverbs, we've been studying in Proverbs, it speaks about the man who commits adultery. He says he lacks understanding. He destroys his own soul and a Uh, Wound and dishonor shall he get. His reproach shall not be wiped away. Can God forgive the adulterer? Absolutely. God can forgive any and all manner of sin, but sometimes sin carries scars and there's consequences as a result of actions. We know that dying repentant thief, that man who died on the cross next to Jesus. We know when he turned to Christ and he repented, the Lord freely forgave him of all his sins, every transgression he'd ever committed up to that point, the Lord had forgiven him and made him a wonderful promise. But you notice the Lord didn't deliver him off that cross. He still had to pay the penalty for his transgressions against society. So again, forgiveness doesn't always mean there won't be consequences. It doesn't mean the offender is off the hook, but what it does mean is they're off of our hook. Forgiveness means to cease to allow feelings of resentment, to let go of the right to hurt back, and to relinquish thoughts of vengeance. Years ago, there was a man who lived in a little French village, and he was bitten by a rabid dog. And this was before Louis Pasteur had come up with a vaccination for rabies. So the end result was this man was infected, and of course it was horrible. People usually died four or five days following a bite, and they would go mad. They'd suffer from something called hydrophobia. And so as the man was talking to the doctor, and he found this out, he asked the doctor for a paper and a pencil, and he began to scribble furiously, and the doctor assumed he was making out his last will, so he told the man, he said, You don't need to be too hasty. You've got a few days here to really decide. The man said, I'm not making out a will. I'm writing a list of all the names of the people I'm going to bite in the next 24 hours. Well, that's vengeance. That's not forgiveness. Sadly, some people live their whole lives that way. You know, they're hurt. So they spend their whole lives wanting to hurt back. But the Word of God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, God's entire plan of salvation from beginning and really centers around forgiveness. We need the Lord's forgiveness to make heaven our home. The Bible tells us we're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. There's not one righteous person. No, not one. So we desperately need the Lord's forgiveness. And we know when we come to the Lord in humility and we surrender, we confess our sins, recognize our needs and repent and believe the Lord saves us. We also understand that God's forgiveness to us and our forgiveness to others is tied together. This account emphasizes that as well as other scriptures. You can't have one without the other. Jesus stated that very clearly also in Matthew chapter 6. He says, If ye forgive men their trespasses, then my heavenly Father will forgive you. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, Neither will my heavenly father forgive you your trespasses. Forgiveness for the Christian is not optional, it is mandatory. This parable mentions a certain king. Of course, we know the king in this story represents the Lord himself. It says that he called his servants to give an account. That's an important truth to recognize right there. There is a day of accounting coming for every one of us. The accounts will be settled. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So we know one day we are going to stand before a righteous, holy God and give an account of our lives. It said that the king here discovered that one of his servants owed 10,000 talents. Well, that servant in this story represents every single one of us. The debt he owed can represent our sins. The amount of that debt, $10,000, most commentators say in today's economy would be about $6 billion. Jesus was exaggerating this number intentionally because he wanted to show us that that debt For our sins is far too great a price for any of us to ever be able to pay on our own. I've been thinking about an old song that's been going through my mind the last few days. The words go something like this. It says, He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Christ paid a debt we could never, ever, ever pay. Well, the king ruled that the servant and his family and everything he owned be sold till he could pay that debt. But it tells us when that servant heard this, it says he fell down before the king and he worshiped him pleaded with the king to have mercy and patience with him, and he promised to pay back everything, which we know was impossible. And it tells us when the king heard this, he was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. You know, forgiveness was not granted to this man because it was granted because of his attitude. It was not granted because of his ability We know he'd already squandered 10,000 talents of the king's money. But because he humbled himself and he fell before the Lord and he worshiped the Lord and he at least made a semblance of some kind of restitution because of his attitude, the king forgave him of that debt. He didn't put him on an installment plan or a payment plan. The guilty man was liberated. And we know that the innocent man, the king in this case, was the one that paid the debt. He crossed 10,000 talents off of his accounts. Who pays the debt for us when the Lord saves us? Christ pays the debt. Christ suffers the loss. Jesus takes the hit. The Lord's the one that absorbed our debt in his body on that cross. He paid the debt. We can't do that. Jesus did that. That's the debt that we owe the Lord. We could never repay it on our own. This is a beautiful picture of what the king's forgiveness looks like. The Bible says who the son sets free is free indeed. We're thankful the Lord when he forgives, he gives fully and completely. It says the king was moved with compassion. Someone once said there is a difference between pity and compassion. Several years ago, there was a pedestrian in San Francisco, and as he was crossing the street, he was struck by a streetcar or one of the trolleys. And it actually shoved him underneath the undercarriage of that trolley, and he was under there pinned and injured. And, of course, when the people saw this, they came running up, and some looked underneath the carriage there before the paramedics showed up, and they said, hang on, help is on the way. Some stood on the sidewalk shaking their heads, saying, oh, what a shame. That's pity. One man in a business suit, as he observed this, he literally got down on his stomach and crawled under that streetcar. To where that man was laying and put his hand on the man's shoulder and said, hang in there, helps on the way, I'm gonna stay with you till it arrives. That's compassion. Pity looks down, compassion comes down. Jesus the King had compassion. Aren't you thankful Jesus didn't just look down from his throne and say, oh these poor pitiful people, what a mess. No, he had compassion. He came down to where we are. Left the splendor of heaven. Came and walked among us and lived among us. Uh, subjected himself to the same rigors of life that all of us face. Jesus had compassion. Went to that cross to pay the debt for our sin. That's compassion. Jesus comes down. This king had compassion on this servant. You know, I wish I could say it. the story ends there. That would have been a beautiful ending to a uh, beautiful story but the Lord gives us a sequel here it says this same servant, this one who had just been forgiven he went out, found a fellow servant that owed him a hundred pence that's about four months wages to an average worker and he took him by the throat he demanded payment and he disregarded the man's pleas for mercy and it says he cast him into prison when Jesus compared the price that was owed this man of 100 pence to the 10,000 talents that he'd just been forgiven. Again, he was using this as an illustration. Whatever we need to forgive, no matter how grievous it may seem to us, no matter what it is, when we look at it in the context of what Jesus did for us, when we look at it in the context of what our sin and disobedience cost Christ. It's nothing. It's a penance. It's it's nothing in comp- in comparison. Well, when the king heard that this forgiven what this forgiven debtor had done, says he referred to him as a wicked servant. This man just a few moments before went from being a forgiven, debt-free, guilt-free debtor and servant, to being a wicked servant. And it says he was cast into prison and delivered over to the tormentors. All that forgiveness, all that grace, all that mercy that this man had just experienced became no one void. It was rescinded because of his failure to forgive his fellow servant. You know, I think that the sequence in this parable is also very important. Jesus didn't say, as you first forgive others, even so will I forgive you. Who was the first to forgive? The king was the first to forgive. Jesus is the first to forgive. And the only way we can forgive is Christ is to be forgiven by Christ. But we also know once we've been forgiven, once that debt of sin has been canceled, He commands us to forgive as He forgives or to go and do likewise. It says, In verse 33, Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And it says the Lord or the king was wroth. You know, Psalms 103, verse 8, it says the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy, but he is capable of anger. One thing that causes the Lord to be very upset is when we as Christians, we who've been delivered and set free liberated, we of us who've tasted the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, when we turn around and refuse to forgive others, that makes the Lord very upset. And if we refuse to give others, the Word of God tells us we forfeit our own forgiveness and our own salvation. You know, the king delivered this unforgiving servant over to the tormentors. Unforgiveness is torment. The one who suffers the most from unforgiveness is the one who holds on to it. Somebody once said, unforgiveness is like taking poison and hoping that other person will die. It destroys from the inside. And we understand forgiveness for a Christian isn't optional. It is mandatory. So likewise, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts Forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. You know, when we become aware of the cost of our own forgiveness, when we get a little glimpse of what Jesus has done for us, it should keep us from ever withholding forgiveness from anyone else. You know, when we forgive, really all we're doing is extending God's mercy and grace that was shown to us, to others. We're like a channel that that forgiveness can continue to flow through. Someone once said, we're most like Jesus when we forgive. The Lord takes forgiveness very seriously. We need to do the same. I heard one more story a pastor told a couple of weeks ago. He told about two very world-famous, world-renowned artists that lived a couple hundred years ago. We've probably all heard of them. Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. They were contemporaries. They lived in the same country during the same time. But they were also arch rivals. They had a public rivalry that had gone on for several years, and it was getting more and more bitter all the time. And they would openly they would write open letters or public letters, criticizing one another's works and finding fault. and these would, of course, would be read in public. And everybody knew there was this huge dispute going on between the two of them. Well, about this time, Leonardo was asked to paint one of the most famous paintings. And all the world, and that is the Last Supper of Christ. And he was to paint this mural on this large wall of a church. And, and if you've probably seen prints or pictures of this actual mural, but it shows Jesus, of course, sitting in the middle, and it shows his disciples on the right hand and on the left hand. And about the third, about three people down on the left is, shows Judas sitting at the table holding the bag. Well, Leonardo would have different people come in and model as he would paint these different disciples. But when it came to painting the face of Judas, he had a great idea. Thought this is my perfect opportunity to get back at Michelangelo. He knew exactly what Michelangelo's face looked like, so he very craftily painted the face of Michelangelo on the face of, on the body of Judas. And of course, people knew what was going on. They'd come by and they observed this and he thought for finally he was going to be able to immortalize what a scoundrel that Michelangelo was. And he thought he had finally gotten his vengeance. Things went along fine until he went to paint the face of Christ. Saved the very last face of Jesus for the last part of that mural. And as he went to try to paint the face of Jesus, He'd paint a face and he would look at it and he'd blot it out and he'd try to paint another face. He just couldn't seem to get it right. And he kept thinking, I need to capture the forgiveness and the love and the mercy of Christ and I can't do it. And he got so exasperated and frustrated. Finally, he, he fell to his knees. He said, Lord, help me see the face of Jesus. Uh, still, a small voice spoke to him and said, you'll never see the face of Jesus till you change the face of Judas. Of course, he was convicted by that. He realized it was his own unforgiveness, his own bitterness toward this other man that kept him from seeing the face of Jesus. You know, sadly, there's a lot of people who go through life that way. They can't experience the joy of the Lord. They can't experience His forgiveness. They can't see His face. They can't see Him working in their lives because of the unforgiveness they're harboring in their own hearts. There's nothing more powerful in all the world than the power of forgiveness. Jesus has the power to forgive, to break every chain. And you know what? The Lord can help you to forgive others today. I don't know what anyone is dealing with. I don't know if there's a person in your life who's particularly difficult. We might be difficult ourselves. We have to admit that. But the Lord understands. But think about what Christ forgave you for and If you're not saved, if you've never tasted of the Lord's forgiveness, this morning you can come and surrender your life to the Lord. If you're struggling again to forgive others, the Lord can help you. Forgiveness is the greatest thing in all the world. The Lord extends it even this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation. The song is 344. Let's come and pray.